Hello guys, thank you for joining us again on another episode of the New School of Thinking podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk about fidget toys. And let me tell you, if you thought that you guys heard enough of Ren before, wait till you hear this episode. So without further ado, enjoy. Alright, welcome back to another episode of New School of Thinking. Today, uh, we are actually going to put Ren in the hot seat and get her to talk about her experience with her company, Fidget Toys. So, Ren, how do you feel? You know what? I, I'm ready it, for this. It, it doesn't As really a, matter. I exactly. I don't have a <laughs> We're choice. still going to put you on the hot spot. I don't have a choice. the hot seat here. So, Jamal, take it away. I'll let you have the first question. All right. All right. Well, Ren, yeah. So... Coming on the topic of Impact Series, we thought we'd turn on our own and see what we can get. So, uh, don't worry, don't worry, you you know this process. Um, uh, first of all, like, what got you into fidget, fidget toys? Did you, what is it? What is fidget toys, first of all? Let, let's start with that. What is it? So, fidget toys, if it's, if it's something that I'm providing as a business pitch, the elevator pitch for the business itself it is a toy company designing stress relief toys for children with autism. That's the niche market that we focus on. If it's on a personal uh, elevator pitch, I think it was my moment to um, really challenge and stand up for myself and my abilities, ideas, and also the non, non-engineers uh, pursuing the world of entrepreneurship in the uh, element of building toys and products without the formal academic uh, background. If it's the cultural elevator pitch, one of the very few Southeast Asian women to really step out of that and start this entrepreneurial journey at a very young age. And yeah, so there's different perspectives there, but Fidget Toys is a toy company focused on um, learning while doing for those on the spectrum and how long have you uh, had fidget toys Uh, what was the process like starting it up and what are some of your memorable moments you could share with us definitely accidental so um it was actually an experiment and an idea on campus at u waterloo of you know making campuses more accessible the prime question was how do i study You know, what does studying even mean? Even if you guys were to answer that question, like what does studying mean to both of y'all? Yeah, that's a weird question. uh, It's like learning new stuff and like growing your mind. Studying is like an art of developing the brain is the way, or developing oneself, which would be the brain, but yeah. But imagine that, sorry, go ahead, Jamal. No, I could see that, it's like, developing yeah I, I think learning and developing are definitely some words in there but you you're gonna say imagine that yeah no but imagine that being in the in the environment of a university like a post-secondary um environment when you're you're saying studying people are looking at studying in different means and that was like you know in the library studying that equates to i'm doing air quotations of studying reading a book memorizing is a form of studying and i just never saw myself studying the way that other university students were on campus and i don't even know if they made a par either but 
someone who, you know, I'm, I'm a very auditory and visual learner. And that's where I found the to- a term of uh, kinesthetic education, which means learning while you're actually doing the practical, um, practical thing for you to actually absorb the information. So I was the one that kind of stepped into classes, listened to the professor speak, watched the pr- presentations that he, as he was speaking, but always had beef with the presentations um, if a professor were to speak without a visual content behind him. Because I was like, what if people needed that visual aid in order to really absorb the information? So I started challenging a lot of um, professors because I took my academic, um, what was I, VP of academic on uh, the Art Student Union. So I took that on various committees and just asked like, you know, you say post, uh, post-secondary education is accessible and whatnot, but nobody really understood or spent the time to evaluate whether it was accessible to learning styles. So having, having found this whole question about what studying is, I started realizing that everybody is just, you know, buckling down, stressing out before the exam or the day before. There was a lot of all-nighters. We had a student... Um, Life Center, I'm sure both of y'all can also coin into this of how many times have we like, you know, bundled our stuff up in a backpack, go go over to a Tim Hortons and like spend hours and hours there. But at the end of the day, and even at the very beginning of that exam, you're still stressed out and you still probably never passed. So with that came a lot of questions around what kind of tools are there? And in the midst of that, I remember doing my first pitch. So to answer that memorable moment uh, question, Dean, um, December December 3rd, uh, 2013. Quite memorable because I was part of a social entrepreneurship incubator program, the first of its kind for uh, U Waterloo at St. Paul's Greenhouse. And I got to pitch my idea of a study bike, which was just an elliptical uh, with a desk, a chair. And my idea was, as you're doing exercise and studying, you're absorbing more information. So you kind of, you're you're increasing concentration and overall execution of the material that you're absorbing in the first place. So there was a lot of um, theories and um, theses that I was able to work off of, especially in Germany. There was a lot of experiments around that that um, I guess those questions right of putting people to memorize as they're uh, as they're exercising or they're biking putting people off the bike and then uh, onto the books seeing if they memorize more and then the ones that didn't even bother getting on the bike or doing any exercise as they were absorbing information and it turns out the people that were doing it simultaneously absorbed more information which then created the study bike I pitched that on December 3rd in front of a crowd and I remember, so Wayne Chang, shout outs to him. Wayne Chang is actually an engineer and he's uh, also a business business instructor. And he was in the crowd where everybody else was laughing at me because they were like, what is this? Like, this is such a stupid idea. It doesn't make sense. Oh, you're just biking as you're um, learning or you're reading a book. Oh, is that going to make a difference? And it was I think it was more of a game changer for me in that moment I could have you know chosen to like be like use my anger towards oh you know like uh, they don't get me or it's not a stupid idea and vouch for it 
But honestly, if I didn't have that moment and Wayne, why I pointed him out was he became such a mentor and champion for me. He saw me for being a very like resilient um, ideator, if you will. And he's like, it's such a simple concept. And yet it's why do, do crowds make it so complicated? And I remember going back to my dorm room and writing it down in um, in my sketchbook and notebook saying, you know, December, uh, December 2013 is going down in history for this so-called stupid idea. But by December, I gave myself like um, five, like the five month a five-year mark and yeah. I'm like in five years like people are gonna know what I'm about and what this idea is about but I'll get into that later but that's kind of the early stages and that was just such a memorable moment because I remember my my parents showing up to this pitch like this pitch presentation and they were like oh like this is the idea you were working on like we didn't know and how did you even come up with it and how it kind of turned into focusing on the niche market was because simultaneously as I was evaluating that how how is studying done or how is learning accessible uh, my nephew was being uh, diagnosed and being assessed to be put on the autism spectrum so in that in that I guess anger anger potent moments um, I was like you know what more than university students and campuses that are like you know, super entitled and not don't have the patience to understand the importance of this idea. There's others, other folks that need it more than uh, we do. So, yeah, I mean, that's where um, as he was being diagnosed, uh, there's a story into that. But I feel like I'm going to stop the ramble <laughs> right now but, for now. But but I think it was going in like in like a good direction there because my other question was the why right like we always ask about the why and why did this idea come about and what did what was behind the idea so you got into that kind of with the studying and wanted to learn how different people study and how it actually affects different people or or just just the idea of what studying is and how people do it and how it could be a little better or whatever Mm -hmm. the case is Mm -hmm. but um then you started getting into a deeper why which i think is probably a little bit more why you pursued it even further you know right. what i mean um, you always have that initial thought of oh this will be cool to do or you know you have that initial uh thing of why of how to of, of wanting to do something but then there's always i find with most people there's always something else behind it that's like a driving factor that really hits home mm-hmm. so let's yeah let's get into that a little bit like what what was that driving factor for you that really kind of hit home and made you want to pursue this even further than than what you did already at the time. And also talk and talk about the anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You, you mentioned like your anger was like I think you, I heard you say like four times. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know what what uh, how'd you handle it and what what was driving it and uh, what pro- what. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. Talk, talk about the emotion, basically. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you know what? I think that's where that you guys, I'm glad that you brought that point up because I think a lot of the times we're tend to told, uh, tend to be told to keep your emotions like, you know, um, under control. And I think the way that I 
put out my anger was to work on it even harder and figure out the solution in a much more mindful way. So uh, simultaneously, as I was getting through, um, you know, I had this study bike idea pondering or in the back of my mind everywhere and anywhere I went. Like it was such a burning question. So simple, but such a burning question. And it was at a, um, my other nephew's birthday party that we went to. And I noticed that, um, you know, my my cousin was taking her son down downstairs in the basement to just like she kind of like separated him really quickly and took him downstairs so i was like what that's so odd like it's just so odd so followed them downstairs um i mean it's a kid birthday party anyways like we're old adults we're hanging out downstairs and i noticed that like you know the way that my my nephew was trying to communicate was with a lot of frustration like he was trying to ask for something and we couldn't we couldn't figure out what it was and at that time he was six uh six years old so by then by any like i know any parent would would attest to this of like there is that pressure of like this this six-year-old has to communicate as well as another six-year-old there's like all this comparative analysis going on like poor kids are going through this when um you know we we are get we get compared uh, with other kids growing up like we've all experienced that but imagine not being able to communicate even verbally um, so verbally communicate I think I need to identify that that difference so he couldn't verbally say what he wanted and that's just because he was delayed in speech and that doesn't mean he wasn't able to do other things which means I was like wait like okay he can't speak fine it's, it's not even a problem uh, why not put him through sign language? Why not teach him sign language? Why not learn another language to communicate with him? And mm -hmm. at that moment, my cousin was like, no, like people are going to look at us. Like, have you not paid attention to the social stigma? Have you not paid attention to sitting in that room, even sitting upstairs where everybody was staring at my son being like, why isn't he speaking out? Why isn't he laughing? Why isn't he clapping? Why isn't he like you know, enjoying being a child at a child's birthday party. And that really crushed me. I was like, damn, like a kid can't even be a kid. Even yeah. even if he's like an introverted child, like why can't we just look at him for who he is and learn how to communicate the, the way that he wants to be communicated to. So um, how, she, how we kind of like coped with that um, frustration of his was, uh, you know, she kept handing him over like, toys and everything was handheld like there was a stress ball and crayons and then she was like oh can you just like play with him and show him how to draw and it was in that moment I found that he bursted like he just threw everything at everybody and then now he's labeled even more of like oh he's too aggressive and I was like what is going on like imagine from his perspective how he feels he can't even ask verbally what he wants why can't he communicate why can't he draw it out for us or something but that's not even his fault because he's not even being taught that language and that was when i realized i was like okay well you know what we need his hands to communicate i'm sure there's a toy for his feet so yeah. i'm sure there was a toy for his feet is what i said and she's like are you dumb like are you crazy no there's nothing like that and that's when there was like a recycling bin. I remember this, a recycling bin um, in the basement of this house. And I just took like water bottles and just like 
wrapped it around his feet. And I don't know uh, Jamal and Dean, but in that moment, like his aura just changed. Like his, he cracked a smile. He was confused. He was like, what is going on? But he was calm. And then that's when I was like, ah, huh. Okay, I wonder if there's anything for the feet because it's still, it still undermined my um, question of how how are you staying like when you're studying you have to stay put like you're sitting in one place at least that's the ideation but how do you、right. stimulate yourself in order to continue sitting still so it was still around that same era and I just took that water bottle idea sketched it on a napkin. And then sent it back to my cousin, and I was like, "Hey, what do you think about this? Like, this might be a tool that this might be a toy that can help him just stay calm and just like you know still be able to communicate or use his hands for other things, eat, and not be stressed with having to juggle so many so many items in his in his hands." And that's kind of how Fidget Toys birthed itself. Like it was all by an accident, but I think all because. I was angry about how the system is so broken and it's not inclusive as it claims to be. It's not inclusive. Post-secondary education is not accessible. Autism spectrums. People are being labeled, but not enough tools exist in order to cater to the actual issue, which is not even an issue. It's just a different method of communication. So. I mean, it, it's scary to think that even though it's been five, six years already of starting that, starting the idea, or being part of this journey, and I want to say part of the journey because I think the at the end of the day, the idea kind of chose me to run with it.、Um, it still gives me that emotion back, like that emotion is not new, and it still makes me angry. So, I guess that's where that fuel to the fire is. Sounds like you're passionate about. Uh, people problems, and you want to be the people's champion more than anger.、Yeah. I think that's you're using the anger as fuel, I guess, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what kind of gets you angry, and then, like Dean said, you use it as a fuel to、uh, solve a so, try and solve a problem or solve an issue that you it, see. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to Jamal's question about the why, and it, it seems like you're passionate about. People,、mm-hmm. people, problems more so. And how did you become passionate about these problems? Like, what was it? Just that, like, there must have been more instances. Like, not just necessarily. You mentioned this was like an accident,、mm-hmm. but there must have been other instances where you you dived into people's problems and you were you were the advocate, passionate warrior for them. And, and you know what, Dean? And that's a that's a really interesting question because. I mean, you guys hear hear me on this podcast, and when we discuss stuff too, I'm I'm that rambler. I'm always advocating, or I'm like, yo, like I would fight this system, that system. And I think Jamal mentioned it on the other,、um, on our other episode, where it's like, you know, I I really care. I I truly truly care. And I think growing up, being the person on the other side of、um, not being asked and whatnot, I became the asker. I became that person. I was like, I'm curious to tap into people's lives, and I think I I started building the art of empathy re- at at a really young age. So through the arts, through like creativity, I was pretty artistic. Huh, autism and artistic kind of sound the same, but I was very artistic and. 
it's kind of strange if you like look back at those images as well it was weird to think of what i was thinking about i remember w- winning like this art competition um for drawing like the sky with the clouds having like um images of important people that have passed away and i was like that's such a dark image but at the same time it brought so much like joy and like honor honor to to families of of those who had passed that i had uh, had drawn in that in that moment and i think is definitely that art of empathy being able to ask questions and be put in uncomfortable conversations being able to tap into people's trust and make sure that they're they're willing to trust again and that art of just caring about people i think had brought me to to the light and i just needed anger to fuel myself to fight all these people that always put ideas down or not see the value or not even take the minute to ask why like why you and why for them and i mean it's it's just like there's no one answer but i think it's that it's that ability to take the time and really really listen to what the problem is and who you're listening to because when i was about when i was going on this journey i never turned to any experts i didn't scout out like oh are you a psychology major are you a phd in psychology or social work not to dismiss their not to dismiss their education or their you know their knowledge but i wanted practical knowledge i wanted people that were experiencing it 24/7 hours of the day i ain't going to a center asking the head like ceo of a a special needs center and being like oh hey like what kind of tools do you need let me make a transaction oh hell no i went straight to the people i went straight to the families because i'm like you tell me what kind of tools you need and i will i will do the research and i will build for you that's how you build your niche ask the customer first stop creating solutions and being so proud of that solution being like oh my god look at the app i created oh my god look at the product i created okay now who's going to buy it let me just shove it down someone's thro- throat i'm not about that like that's where shifting that perspective of understanding your customer and i was only building for my nephew and some way somehow it just turned out to m- multiply on its own because there was more people that were that were identifying themselves in my nephew's shoes I never prescribed anything for anybody. So I think that was definitely a powerful transition for myself of getting into the world of business by accident, but I think I root I made that root and the powerful like the fundamental power behind let me give the power to the people. Because not only did they help with the marketing element, they did the word of mouth marketing, they did the uh PR for me, they did the um you know acquiring new customer segments for me anything business related people people ran that and i can't even say people in general these people became family to me i connected with each and every one of them and starting off with about like 300 families in my first 3 months of starting the idea or pitching the idea to now over 35,000 it's amazing like i think that's that like when you started to get in about um you know you didn't ram it down people's throats it's not something that you just built and was like okay here who who can i sell it to mm-hmm. i think that's very important because basically you saw something you didn't agree with right and then you did the actual research yourself to kind of try and solve that that issue mm-hmm. and then you just made it available right you said hey this is what i'm thinking what do you guys think right right and i think that's 
that's very important when you try to start something uh, new, at least something new or different. You know, some people thinking outside of the box to me is very important. Um, thinking differently is very important because everybody tries to solve the same issues with the same solution. Um, and to me, that's not going to get you anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, like that. Mm-hmm. It's opening up your mind to think about, okay, how else can this be dealt with? How else can I can I look at this this issue or this injustice and see how it can be fixed or dealt with at least, right? Addressed. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that's very important, and that's why the people, the families, as you said, they trusted it and they saw something else was working, and then they they helped, mm-hmm. right? They didn't take it upon themselves. Like they, 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 sorry, they took it upon themselves to get the word out there, and and that's how you know you have something that people appreciate, right? right? And they're part of the process, right? It's exactly. not like it's, and this is, and I guess little by little, I think both of you guys, especially like carrying our conversations together throughout, you know, the past year and year and a bit can now identify as to why I have my certain beefs with mentors that strip away people's journeys that tell them, oh, this is the box you need to follow. This is the mechanism you need to do because there's a lot of pressure that gets added on to, you know, people that have a very impact driven or like a, a powerful why of solving a certain problem. And they get lost in the sauce. And unfortunately, you know, it, it business is hard. It's not easy. Entrepreneurship is not easy. But I think the main ingredient is have the people that you are building for be part of the process. Whether it's a dog, a cat, a snake, or whatever it is, it's still the person, the consumer that you are building for. It does not make sense for you to be putting, let's say, let's say it's a graphic tee aimed for you know it's just a a childish character let's just throw it on a t-shirt and sell it no talk to that child talk to the kid that you want and you are building for it does not make sense for you to just build an item put it on the website and be like okay it's gonna sell it does not make sense and i think that's probably the the most um failed entrepreneurial story and that's where i have my beef with entrepreneurs nobody's spending the time to really evaluate who they're building for and not once have they spoken to at least one buying customer mm-hmm. not once and I, I like challenge each and every every single person that's going to be listening to that line and being like oh yeah well give me your tips and tricks on how to build a business from 30 to 30 30,000 no like did you ever speak to one of the 30 people that you're selling to and I think that's the other pressure right I think I mentioned this Um, as a part of like the impact and how I define impact and how much pressure comes on when you say the word impact. I think in this day and age, we're all trying to follow this mindset or this pathway of like, hey, I need to build something that's going to impact 30 million or 3 million people or a million people all at once versus thinking, how about it impacts one person And that's why I have so much respect for this new School of Thinking podcast and our definitions behind why we do it. At least one person can be influenced or impacted in a positive way. That should matter. That should matter, period. That's it. And then you see the multiplication come from that. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I definitely agree. Agreed as well. So, Ren. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. ahead. 
So Ren, talk about like uh, before we wrap up. Let's uh, let's change it up. So what is one thing you regret or found you could take or think about that you you would take back during your journey of fidget toys? Or, to or do right differently now? if you don't want to regret anything. Something you could do differently. Yeah, I I definitely don't regret anything um, when it comes to this journey because like it's taught me a lot. And honestly, I think I I was battling so many different elements that right now when I reflect on it I was like damn like I can understand why I took the pauses when I did when I chose to say you know what I'm leaving that chapter I'm closing it down at least for myself right now as a, as a contributor and we can get into that some other time but I think the thing I could have and should have or would have done differently would have been um gosh I don't know if I would have because I learned a lot from it in each and every element. I think the thing that I didn't do well was um, knowing how to manage a team because I kept falling in love with potential. Like there, there's just something about me and that's why I'm, I'm in the educational technology world I'm in right now because of that. I get to capitalize on that character trait of mine of... I've always I've, I've wanted to give so many people opportunities and yet I didn't have the time or that availability at the at the time of when I was building to a lot that that allocate that um, or carve out that time to handhold and really put put like a project project uh, timeline together. Like I didn't know all these tools existed. I didn't know, uh, you know, project management was a thing or product managers were a thing for me to um, include as a part of my journey. So right. now if I were to restart, oh man, I would be afraid of myself because I know and I have like, you know, you guys as my friends, but also passionate individuals who align with me on a value base. So it's like, it's a no brainer for me to ask for help. I think asking for the right help was something that I also learned along the lines. But I know my downfall was um, not having um, the right team by me. It was such a lonely road, even though I had, you know, amazing people come through and help and like showcase their help. But I don't mean this in a bad way, but it, that help was wasn't enough. Showing up wasn't just enough. It was about get, getting your hands dirty, too. So I think that was a hard lesson and it was definitely a turnoff of business for me. It was like such a turnoff of like, why do people have so much trust issues? Um, why can't people just care enough to take that leap and go a little, little further and help out and then just trust the process to reap the rewards versus asking for the rewards and then trying to do, do the job or the role or the responsibility. So. I mean that's that was a hard lesson, in hindsight. Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm, yeah, it's a very interesting. Yeah, and I'm glad one, you had yeah. nothing to regret about it though, because like, like you said, it is a learning opportunity. It is, it is a learning curve, mm -hmm. and um, the fact that you can actually say wholeheartedly that you wouldn't take anything back, um, it means that you were in it to win it. Like you were in it wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. All right. So. Uh, before I wrap up then uh, Jamal what what was your today's takeaway from let's say I mean the takeaway I, I have the same uh, as as Ren was talking I have like the same views of what she's talking about how she's learned 
um, or what she's learned throughout her journey about, you know, she talked about basically the perseverance, the consistency and linking, linking what you're passionate about with, with a way to help people and then going to the source, going to the people that you're trying to help. That was a big takeaway for me. Right. And that I see that in a lot of other entrepreneurs and people who we've talked to on this podcast, guess who we're bringing in on this podcast. Sometimes, yes, they want to help themselves, but, you know, our, our, our listeners will find throughout our series that's coming up, they will find that a lot of the entrepreneurs and the people that we speak to on this on this podcast are about helping people and the impact that they make. It doesn't matter to them, like Ren said, if it's 3,000, 300 or two. Right. And that's what's important. That's a big takeaway for me. And, and I think that's a big takeaway for our listeners as well. How, how, how about you? Mm-hmm. Um, so for myself, I would have to say uh, I took it from a, a different perspective. I, I guess um, I've been waiting to kind of say this line <laughs> this whole well, time. It up. It's more of uh, the harder the journey, the sweeter yeah. the victory. Huh. Mm-hmm. And to remember why you started. Always reflect back to that mm-hmm. that date and that moment. As Ren had mentioned, like the passion and the anger that fuels that passion started on December 3rd. December 3rd, fam. December, December 3rd. 3rd. But you know what? I'm glad you brought that up December because 3rd. I had mentioned, right? I had wrote that down that day on yeah. 2013. Um, December 29th, 2017, I had a full spread in McLean's uh, magazine. So everybody knew what Fidget Toys was. And then guess who? And everybody was hollering up the phone lines being like, oh my God, you're a big deal. Really? Are you serious? Exactly. Like I like to say, people don't, people... Whenever you see success, it's only the tip of the iceberg. You don't know the struggle mm-hmm. that's been, that's under the water. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that, Ren, for sure. No, thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. Well, obviously. And <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> sorry. And just, and just, uh, just the final note, Ren. So what was your takeaway? Being in My takeaway is um, that I'm a very angry person and it's okay <laughs> to be angry and emotionally fueled because you make great things like no no sane person has created something dumb so really listen to the crazies just mm-hmm. saying yeah yeah sorry, gotcha, sorry before, gotcha. before we go there is one thing you said that I wanted to touch on uh, you said earlier in the podcast friend that we're taught basically or we tend to be told to control our emotions mm-hmm. right and not have our emotions control us but I, I definitely think there's a there's a there's a fine line there where where you can use that emotion and if you can control your emotion but still let them show right you know what I mean still let them show and let let them fuel you and guide you um, to a point where you're still in control right you know and I mean? to make so, it and to make it relevant to like the you know the social exactly. media stuff that we talk about it's like you know how many people are thanking their bullies for bullying them? Look at them now. So mm-hmm. it can be very relevant to a lot of spaces. But I know I'm, I'm glad that you guys were able to uh, take away things from my rambling. Like, damn, it's an honor. Uh, okay, yeah. let's wrap uh, yeah. it up, I guess. <laughs> and then, and, and finally, for the third time, I'm trying to conclude this, this conversation. 
we can all take away that Ren talks. <laughs> Some facts, though. Some facts, though. Have a good Have a one. Good one That's all the time that we can take with Ren. I mean, we were getting to our limit there, and you guys can tell. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Thank you, Ren, for sharing those stories and giving us your insights. Um, it was a great episode. Folks, thank you for listening. Follow us. Come back next week. Uh, we'll have way more content for you. And just stay tuned. Enjoy. Enjoy.